DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. A reminder, the 4th of July weekend will be busy on the road, and ARUP wants to be ahead of the game. Hans and Scotty G will be at ARUP in Sandy on Thursday. Broadcasting live from 10 to 2, ARUP is open from 10 a.m. to 7 p.m., and they'd love to see you there. Visit utahblood.org for all the details. We're joined now by Brandon Hoffman, National Recruiting Editor for 24-7 Sports. Brandon, good morning. Good morning, guys. How you doing? Good. You know, as we see you, uh, as we see the rankings for classes and all that, I'm I'm curious. With more transfers all the time, more grad transfers all the time, how do you figure that into a recruiting class as you uh, as you put the rankings out? So it's interesting because you know one of the questions that come with grad transfers or with regular transfers, how do you function them into the rankings? And so a lot of it kind of given the insight by the team that covered it. You know, this is a guy who was really good and he left because of this reason, or this is a guy who was at this school and couldn't play dead, but yet he left and some school needed him. So, you know, you're kind of relying a little bit more on the word on, on the beat writers to, to kind of give you a fair assessment uh, or unfair assessment, what have you, on how that player is going to fit if, you know, when they get to a school, they just all of a sudden – aren't as talented or they weren't as good as maybe their high school rating suggested uh, or they were good and just became a victim of circumstance. So it's a lot more teamwork when it comes to that than say when you're doing high school ratings. As far as the senior class coming up this year, just looking at stuff that I've seen in the Pac-12, it looks like SC and Oregon are pulling away. Is that true? It is, but I would also say that, you know, there's (laughs) – USC is getting a lot of attention right now because of some good off-season hires they made. And, you know, they're supposed to be a pretty decent team this fall, so we'll see if they can continue that momentum. But for all the scrutiny that Clay Helton has been under really for the last 18 months, it hasn't really been noticeable in their recruiting efforts. But I also think they've done such a good job of adjusting to the lack of ability to get recruits on campus and having a pretty good Southern California recruiting base that you can choose from. So as guys maybe are more hesitant to commit to schools further away because of the pandemic, USC is welcoming those guys into the recruiting class. If there's a season and the season goes as expected, you know, when people think USC will be good, I anticipate that class being stronger. But if the season goes how a lot of USC fans still probably help and will direct it, that class could allow Oregon to pull away even further and the rest of the tax will benefit. You know, we've seen the Utes ranked uh, fifth and seventh in the Pac-12, uh, which is an upgrade over the early days in the Pac-12 when they were routinely 9, 10, 11. But we've seen them often outperform whatever the rankings say. Uh, why do you think that is? Well, it, it's frustrating because every year they make us look stupid with the rankings the way they are, and then a player develops, and he gets there, and he gets under the coaches at Utah's direction and you know thoroughly outplays his ranking. And I think... A, it, it just speaks to their ability to, A, evaluate, to find these guys when they're 16, 17, 18 years old and say, okay, in three or four years from now, this is what we anticipate this guy playing. I also think Utah does a, as good of a job as anybody as building a lot of depth. So they're not necessarily forced to throw in true freshmen to play right away unless that true freshman is you know, just a fantastic player who deserves to be on the field. So it gives them some time to really develop those younger players and play them when they're ready rather than 
some schools that maybe rush younger guys in and play them before they're ready and then get back to the ranking. Were they overrated or were they rushed? I think Utah does such a good job with their depth, but then evaluating and then developing that depth over their three or four years there, that by the time a guy's a senior, you now see a guy who is a potential draft pick. We say it all the time. We'll have a rankings call and we'll look at a kid and we'll say, okay, this is the kind of kid that goes to Utah, ends up a three-time first-team all-pack 12 guy and ends up drafted. You know, and, and I think you're starting to see in more recent classes, Utah's classes are ranking higher because you cannot argue with their development track record has been. How many big-time four- and five-star studs are still out there uncommitted? There's a lot. You know, it's been interesting, too, because we've seen such a high rate and high number of commitments at this point. I think at one point in mid-January, there were 750 more commitments in mid-June. I'm sorry, in June. In mid-June of 2020, there were 750 more commitments than there were a year ago at this time. So a lot more players are committing two schools essentially to secure their spot, but the higher rated guys, the guys that have all the schools that they really want to choose from after them and are in no rush to get a commitment from them, those guys are taking their time. Maybe they, they want to take more official visits. Maybe they want to get out and see these schools a little bit more. I think the players that have more offers that are more highly regarded have more leverage. So a lot of the elite top end guys, they are still out there, but you're seeing more of the second and third tier guys securing their spot at a school or maybe their status with that university isn't as strong as an elite prospect. So, you know, it's not uncommon to look in a lot of these states and the number one, two, three player in the state are uncommitted, but then four through ten have committed somewhere. I think there's kind of a feeling of we better secure our spot while we can. But on the other hand, there's the elite guys who are like, listen, this school's going to take my decision, my commitment in December or February because they want me that bad. Brandon Huffman, National Recruiting Editor for 24-7 Sports, joining us. Uh, we're seeing more players transfer, and we know the rules around transferring could change here uh, in a little while. And because of the coronavirus, we're seeing fewer on-campus visits. We're not seeing coaches fly across the country to visit. Everything's being done by Zoom. Do you think that's going to lead to more transfers and we really need to take this recruiting class with a grain of salt? Yeah, you know, I, I got married well before any dating apps appeared, so I don't know if you swipe left or you swipe right on those things, but I think there's going to be a lot more uh, just come-to-Jesus moments this fall when schools get a chance to really see the guys that maybe they took commitments from, and on the flip side, recruits maybe go to the campus or talk to the coaches that they committed to. There might be more swiping the other way and maybe some mutual parting of ways. And in fact, I just said there being a lot of mutual parting of ways. I think we've you know, kind of established with the large amount of early commitments that you're essentially setting yourself up for a huge fall of decommitments. Because as things maybe open up, maybe get more normal with official visits happening, with unofficial visits being permitted once again, I think you might start to see schools and players cool on each other as they realize maybe this isn't as good of a fit. Maybe we rushed into it because we were more concerned about numbers. But the flip side of that is the longer the NCAA shutdown goes on, and if there's still the insistence that there's going to be a December signing period, maybe we have more players 
stick with their original commitments. But then I think to your question, that's where you start to see the rapid amount of transfers because if guys are still having to make commitments to school sight unseen, and now you take away the opportunity for them in the fall to go take an official visit, maybe there's some coaching changes at school, but guys are still more worried about losing their spot at a school. Once they get there is when they now experience, this is when I should have broke up with this school. So I think we're not only heading to a large amount of decommitments, but I still think even if we do have a large amount of decommitments, we're heading towards a large amount of transfers in that first two years, especially in year one. And I think the transfer portal is going to be very, very busy early on in 2021 and in 2022, just because this is such an unusual, you know, really time that we're dealing with in recruiting. Who's got some of the better quarterbacks committed in the West? Well, Utah is a school that I like their quarterback. I really like Peter Castelli. He's a guy that, you know, continue to keep an eye on. You know, there's not the elite quarterbacks like there were a year ago when you had DJ Uyunglele and Bryce Young, but there's a good batch, kind of that next batch of guys out West. Washington's got Sam Heward. Uh, he's the number one pro style quarterback in the country. Ty Thompson is like the number five dual threat guy, but he's continuing to a rapid ascent up at the Elite 11 uh, down there in, in Nashville this week. Uh, he's committed to Oregon. Um, USC actually has two quarterbacks committed, Jake Garcia and Miller Moss. They're the number five and number six players in the state of California, respectively. I don't anticipate Jake Garcia sticks with that commitment. He committed to USC a year ago when Bryce Young flipped from USC to Alabama, but then with the addition of Miller Moss, that makes Jake Garcia a little more uh, desirable from a lot of school, for a lot of schools that are trying to flip him. Uh, you got Cal Winton to Arizona. Again, Cal's had quite a bit of success the last year in Arizona with Kyle Milner. Um, you know, Colorado is, I think, the only Pac-12 school that, that's yet to land a quarterback just yet, but every other Pac-12 school has one. In some cases, there's two. Uh, it's not as strong of a quarterback class, and you know, one of the things that college coaches love in the spring is the ability to go out and watch players throw and to be able to get to see these quarterbacks throw and see if they fit best with their program. Without there being the spring evaluation period, a number of schools lost the ability to have that opportunity because they were waiting until the spring instead of maybe watching guys throw in January. So there's going to probably be some a little more jostling than normal with quarterbacks down the stretch as guys emerge in their senior season. So for the first time in quite a bit of years, the senior season will once again matter in recruiting, and especially for quarterbacks. You'd uh, get a verbal commitment from Ricky Parks out of uh, Tampa, and in a year when traveling to see places and to, and to go see the players is hard. How did they get a guy cross-country in this situation? What made him want to go to Utah? Well, I think that just kind of speaks to the track record that Utah has had in the state of Florida in the last few years. Uh, obviously, with, with the, the players that they had last year with Tyler Huntley and Zach Moss, I mean, it's becoming one of those programs that it speaks largely into the state of Florida, and kids know that if they want to get out of the SEC and out of the ACC, they have an opportunity to go west to a program that would love to have a pipeline into the state of Florida. And I think you look at, you know, not just the, the schools that, you know, Utah had to, to beat, but, you know, really who was recruiting him, significant wins. I mean, to go in and beat a Florida State with a new coaching staff. And obviously Florida State is long flourish with recruiting in-state guys. They beat a Florida State. There's a number of SEC schools that come to him. Iowa, which has had a great track record of running backs over the last 10, 15 years, they wanted him badly. You had 10 states going down there. So you look at it. wasn't just Southern schools recruiting him. 
it was a lot of national schools, but Utah has had such a good run in the state of Florida, and I think Kellen Donald has really used that to his advantage in recruiting in the state of Florida, and they're still in the mix. They're still on the short list for a couple of the West top running backs, like Byron Carwell out of San Diego, who's got Utah in his top three, Jordan Hornbeek out of Fresno, who's got Utah in his top four. So they may not be done kind of spanning the country for top running backs. And in a year where I said the quarterback depth wasn't that great, it's even harder to find a really good running back. And Utah's got an opportunity to go down south and go west and get top backs from both of those regions and add them to their arsenal. Who are some of the top high school players in Utah? Well, I think the big one that, that everybody's been kind of familiar with for the last few years is you've seen Orem really start to emerge as a just a real producer talent. It's King Lee Sumataria out of Orem. Uh, 6'5", 280 offensive tackles, already been selected to play in the All-American Bowl in San Antonio. Uh, he's headed the Polynesian Bowl. You know, he's kind of the, the, the class of the state, and he's been the number one player in the state really since the very first inaugural rankings about two and a half years ago. And, you know, coming after Noah Sewell and after Pukunakua the last two years out of Orem, he's been kind of the main guy. But there's been other guys that have emerged. You know, Jackson Light, an offensive lineman, a center out of Corner Canyon, who is probably the best center in the West and among the top centers in the country. He's headed to the Under Armour game, committed to the University of Oregon. Uh, at Salt Lake City East, you got Boye Tanuki, who's headed to the University of Washington. You know, one of the most versatile athletes in the state is rated the Mooney out of Tempe, uh, BYU command. And then you got two of the best jumbo athletes really in the West region, and Logan Fano out of Tintview, uh, and then Isaac Baja out of Pleasant Grove. Baja, 6'7", 230. He's got BYU and Utah as his top two schools, but he's got a number of Pac-12, Big 12 schools after him, and Logan Fano is really down to Utah and Washington at this point. Uh, an elite pass rusher, another Polynesian Bowl selection. So you've got some guys up front, uh, but then you got a guy like Raider Damuni who can play a number of spots in the secondary. You just He's one of those guys who get on the field and let him kind of turn loose. And then probably one of my favorite players to watch in the state of Utah. I got a chance to see him at the All-American Combine in San Antonio uh, in January. And then at the Under Armour Combine in February is Viliami Poha out of Bingham, whose father is Sione Poha, the coach at, defensive line coach at Utah. He's already committed to the youth, and I really like him. Maybe doesn't get the attention as some of the other top guys in the state, but a player that I love that early commitment to Utah and a player that I think is going to really flourish in college again. He's one of those guys that develops, gets bigger, gets stronger, gets more physical, and just develops into an elite Pac-12 type guy by his sophomore, junior, senior season. Brandon Huffman, national recruiting editor for uh, 24-7 Sports, joining us here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. As you talk to the folks around high school football around the country and as all the people on your staff do, are we going to see high school football in every state? Some states, no states. How optimistic are you about a high school football season? You know, I'm optimistic that there will be a season. I'm not optimistic it'll be in the fall. You know, there's a, there's discussions at the state of Florida today is going to be talking about moving football season to the spring. California, I think they set mid-July as kind of their deadline to make that decision if they're going to play it in the fall or if that moves to January or maybe it moves to March. You know, there's other states in the, in the country, and I think what you're going to see is like we did with the NCAA tournament, uh, when the conference tournaments were canceled, you need kind of a big conference to make that move for the other conference move. I think in the same boat, you're going to need one of the bigger high schools, the Texas, the Florida, the Georgia, the Californias, 
and be the first one to make that move. And once they do, I anticipate the trickle-down effect will happen. But I would say two weeks ago, three weeks ago, I was more optimistic there would be a football season in the traditional fall. Now I'm becoming less optimistic just talking to high school coaches, even talking to some college coaches. Even they're starting to worry that their seasons are going to be a pushback. Maybe they go to a conference-only schedule. Maybe they go to a you know a shortened season that starts in January. There will be football. It just may be a little bit longer till we actually see it. I think high school, though, puts itself in the, the highest risk because of the liability with minors. And, and I would say that there's a better chance we see the high school season move in sooner rather than later than we do with the colleges and the pros. He's Brandon Huffman, covers uh, recruiting. He's the national recruiting editor for 24-7 Sports. Brandon, we appreciate you coming on and sharing a few minutes with our listeners. Thanks a lot. Well, gladly. Thanks a lot, guys.